to Life Lessons. We're Jen and Sherry. I'm Jen Stevens, a retired teacher of 28 years and the author of the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat. And I'm Sherry Bullock. I've worked in healthcare for over 26 years, and I've been an active volunteer for many organizations. We're both wives and moms, and let's face it, we're the glue that holds it all together in our homes. In our careers, we have always been problem solvers who help others. And that's what we'll be doing here, answering questions you didn't know you had, one smart solution at a time. We're always looking for ways to make our lives easier, help us be more productive, or improve our health and wellness. So let's live our best lives one day at a time, and let's have some fun along the way. everybody. We are so glad you're here today. Welcome to this week's episode of the Life Lessons Podcast. How are you doing today, Sherry? I'm doing wonderful. I'm so glad. Why are you wonderful? The sun is shining. That's true. It's getting warmer, getting to spend a little bit more time outside and that feels good. That really is the best. Yeah. yeah. I sat outside in the front yard yesterday and in my blue Adirondack chair. Did you order a new chair? I have not yet. Well, I have to order two. Right. And this might sound silly, but <laughs> I'm having some work done on the outside of my house. My house is brick, but the ends of it, the gables are just old siding that's been painted. And then like my trim paint needs to be painted awful. And it's so damp here. It's hard to keep paint on houses. So I made the decision that I'm going to put some vinyl trim and vinyl siding on the ends on the gables. Good choice. Yeah. And I'm going with that kind of cedar shake style vinyl siding. So it looks like shake. That's going to be so cute. Yeah. So the problem is my brick house is painted and I can't okay. get it to match the existing paint. So this is going to require me to paint the brick. Oh, okay. Unless I want the ends to be a to different be contrast. Color. You don't want to do that? Maybe, like a, maybe. Like, I would, might, might would pick to avoid having to paint the house. I'd be like, let's well, pick something that's contrasting. painted anyway. Well, okay. Well, that's a different story. Yeah. But like, what color is your house? It's like a bone. That's what I was picturing like in my head. But I thought I could be, That's what I thought. But mm-hmm. then I couldn't remember if I was right or not. But that's what I was picturing because I've seen pictures of it. But I wonder if like a a cedar look, like a siding that looks like actual cedar Cedar. shakes. Mm -hmm. I think that would be beautiful. Well, my trim currently is sort of a, I don't know what to call it. I'm going to call it mushroom. It's like a kind of grayish tan color. And that's the color of my shutters and all the trim work. And actually that uh, cedar shake siding, whatever, comes in a color that is almost identical. That's what you want then, Sherry. That's but what you I want. just didn't know if it would be weird if at the no. end of my house it was dark at the top and light at the bottom. Not weird at all. That's like cottage style because it's a different material. And so if you look at like you know architecture, like for example the Victorian era when they had all that texture on their homes, the big Victorian houses, and even the little Victorian cottages, they had like a little part that looked like shingle and a little part that looked like this, and they might have ten different colors, colors on the outside. Mm-hmm. So having it tie together with what you already have, you're never going to go wrong there. Yeah. Well, Eric thinks that there's a program online and I don't know, I haven't looked into it where I can actually take a picture of the house and then play with the colors, manipulate the colors like a, like a design type guarantee. If you already have that accent color on your house, it will not look out of place. Yep. Okay. I'm not going to give you a money back guarantee. (laughs) (laughs) Jen, I got it up there. You were wrong, but Oh, yeah, I'm going to have to send you some pictures. You have a good eye for design, so I might have to send you some pictures and the colors and have you, That's have what you I help would do. me with that. If you already have that trim collar and you like it and you know they have that, that would look really Well, see, good. that's one of the things. When I pulled up to this house, it had such great curb appeal. Like, I loved the colors. And then when my neighbors moved next door, they said, you know, we pulled up and we saw your house on this street and we just fell in love with your house. So they're like, the colors are perfect. And they asked me what color. I'm like, I don't know. They painted it right before I moved in. I don't know. Yeah. So I hate to change the color because I love it. But so that is why I'm holding off on picking out chairs until I... That makes sense. So I know exactly what color I want to go with the house. I knew that's where you were going with that yep, story. Yep. Yeah. For those of you that may not know, I don't even remember if I told you this. I sat down in my Adirondack chair last week and it either fell off the porch and broke or it broke 
and fell off the porch. Either way, <laughs> I went flipping backwards off the porch and That's landed in good. the landscaping and got bruised and banged up pretty good. And I just decided I'm done with the cheap forty dollar chair Adirondack <laughs> chair. I'm too old to be flying off the porch. I get it. Do not fall off the porch anymore, <laughs> Sherry. <laughs> Little children bounce. We do not. You know, I just told my chiropractor that. I said, you know, when you're a kid and you fall down, you just get right up and keep on moving. I said, but when you're 48, you fall harder. <laughs> like I can remember riding my bike and flying over the handlebars, like falling flat on my back. Because I would probably was like standing on the ice to do like tricks. Oh, I'm sure. You, I would stand on the seat and I'd be riding the bike while I'm standing on the seat and my like, legs out behind me like I'm an acrobat or something. I don't know why I didn't die. And we had bike. no helmets back then. Oh, no. No, we didn't have helmets. I don't know if they made them. I got a 10 speed for my ninth birthday and my dad put it together and he gave me my bike and my brother and I took off and went around the block. So I could test out my new wheels. And as I rounded a quarter, the front wheel flew off <laughs> and I crashed into a telephone pole. And I'll never forget that birthday. <laughs> <laughs> my dad felt really bad. Oh. My dad came, he brought some tools, he put the wheels on and I finished riding back, back home. Yeah. To reiterate, I don't believe that you could even buy helmets. No, I don't think you could. And if you did have one on, everybody would be like, what is wrong with you? a special <laughs> child. But I do remember, though, one time when I was like a teenager, there was somebody that we knew that had a brain injury from her bike. And then she was like, I'm going to wear a helmet from now on. I'm like, what? It felt so foreign. But that is how much. But also, we didn't wear seatbelts. I mean, it, it was a whole different time. Not not recommended, listeners. <laughs> Anyone who's listening. I can remember riding down. I was one of those kids. I remember riding down with my dad and my stepmother when I was maybe four they were dating. They got married right around that time. Remember when cars had bench seats in the front instead of like one seat and another seat and then stuff in the middle? It was a bench seat. So three people could sit in the front and people did. But I can remember standing on my head while we're going down the highway. Oh, no. I'm standing on my head in the middle between them. And I'm like, are people looking? Are they laughing? Can they see me? I like, I don't know what I was doing. We used to sleep in the back window on car trips. I would do that, too. You'd climb up in that back window. And now, you know, working in a trauma ER doing car accidents all day long, I'm like, oh, my gosh. I can't it even imagine. It was a completely different time. And you know, I remember I was in high school, and I was walking home from school. I lived in – well, I was walking home from the bus stop. I lived in rural Virginia, and I lived on a very – like a dangerous sharp curve and then you had to go down the driveway. We had 30 acres in the mountains. And so they dropped me off at a safer spot and then I had to walk and go down our driveway. And I remember I was approaching the driveway right where that sharp curve was and a truck came by. And this is a very rural road. No one is around, just me. And I was like, I don't know, 15, maybe 16. I'm not sure. And the truck didn't make the curve. It like went into the air. I saw this happen. I was the only, it went into the air, hit a tree and like fell down in this little ditch, but it like flew right. And I was like, oh my God. And I could tell people were injured. It was like a man and his daughter. I ran home. Luckily, my mother had not gone to work yet. She was a dance teacher, but was still there. And she came and, you know, called the emergency and all that. But what really struck with me after that was one of them had on a seatbelt and the other one didn't. And again, this was back in the day when you didn't have to wear a seatbelt. There were no seatbelt laws. Old cars didn't even have seatbelts. And we were not raised to wear them. And, you know, as wrong as that was, looking back, now we know. But it really, you know, the person who was not wearing a seatbelt had a dislocated leg and broken bones. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to wear my seatbelt. And I did. From that day on, it really made a big impact on me. Yeah. Well, you know, most fatalities occur because of ejection. So if you can stay in the vehicle, you're going to be so much safer than if you are ejected from the vehicle. Absolutely. So, yeah. So thank you for seatbelts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you. Thank you. Well, now it's time for our good news segment. We need some good news after that terrible story <laughs> I just told. I'm sorry. <laughs> Tell me something good. <laughs> so this was an email sent to Jen and I. Let's see. Who sent it? It's Phoebe. Phoebe. This is from Phoebe. Us. This. She said, hi, Jen and Sherry. As I was listening to your wonderful podcast, which has good news segments, I was reminded of my daughter's experience in her car that broke down the other night. 
I think the temperature is at most 15 degrees Fahrenheit. So I asked her to write up her story for you. And here it is in Phoebe's age 19 words. Phoebe wrote, I would love to thank a person that made my day a little brighter. I didn't quite catch her name, but I always remember how kind and caring she was. I do know that she owns or helps out at the Lovebirds Donut Shop in Kittery, Maine. One day I was heading to the gym when my car broke down. This was probably the first really cold day during a Maine winter morning. I tried my best to pull off to the side of the road as much as possible. Thankfully, there was a very lovely lady that pulled next to me, and she asked if I needed any help or a ride to her shop to stay warm. I said I was all set because I was going to call my parents. However, she pulled over anyways, and she stayed until she knew I'd be safe. It was so cold. A couple of minutes later, she came by again to check on me with a fresh yummy donut and a tasty hot latte. She was so thoughtful to bring me these treats, and not only were they delicious, they were vegan, which worked for me because I have a dairy allergy. I was really looking forward to going to the gym, but it made my day to have someone care enough to go out of her way. I know that there are amazing people in the world, and a small act can go a long way. I really appreciate it, and I hope to help others as much as I can, even if it is just a little action. Thank you to the kind woman at Lovebird's Donut Shop in Kittery, Maine. That's a great story. That is a great story. People really just want to help each other. Mm -hmm. If we just remembered that. Well, listeners, we need your stories. Send your good news story to connect at lifelessonscommunity.com. We want to hear about companies that have given you exceptional customer service. Give a shout out to a special someone in your life. Tell us an amazing story or share anything that might be inspirational to fellow listeners. We look forward to hearing from you and sharing your good news in an upcoming episode. Before we get to the life lesson of the week, I want to take a minute to tell you about a company that helps bring you the podcast. You guys know I love my beauty counter, but I've had a couple of like aha moments in the last week with beauty counter. So one, I got the new shampoo and conditioner and they changed the formula earlier this year. I used the other one, but it wasn't like my favorite. So I would kind of swap it in and out with some others. I have really kind of coarse, wiry, thick hair, and it just wasn't really moisturizing, I guess, enough for my hair, but I have switched to the new kind and it is so much better. Like your hair. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like my hair turns into like a straw Brillo pad after I wash and dry it. And it is so hard to get all the tangles out. And I got out today and just ran like a wet dry brush through it. And there were no tangles. And like, this is not normal for my hair. So (laughs) I was like, this is so amazing. I have to tell everybody how amazing it is. And I love the new packaging that it has a pump. Because that was the only part hard for me was getting that last little bit out. Boy, I'll have my methods, but with the pump, it's so much easier. Yeah. And the bottles just seem cleaner. Like I have a little rack in my shower, so they're just stuck in there. And the pump was really easy to use. And then also, probably I bragged about how clear my face has stayed through COVID and wearing a mask at work. And I worked three nights this past weekend and my face is clear But I had like a month period where every Monday I would have breakouts on my chin. And I kind of was like, what is going on with my skin all of a sudden? Well, I have always had an activated charcoal bar from Beauty Counter, but I ran out in December and I didn't replace it because I was just waiting till I put another order in. And so I just got it and started using it again. And the thing is, is I use it like twice a week. It provides some extra clarifying, and I think it just helps keep my skin more clear. And I started using this bar again, like probably, I don't know, 10 or 12 days ago. And like when my face didn't break out this weekend, I was like, what's different? And that is it. So that was- I haven't ever used it. That was my second aha moment. And then third, I just want to mention they have a bunch of new colors of foundation. So if you've tried their foundation before and you just didn't find the exact right color, I know I mix two colors. They have a bunch of new colors, so check those out. They're trying to make sure they have colors for every skin tone and shade. You can check it out at beautycounter.com forward slash Sherry Bullock, S-H-E-R-I-B-U-L-L-O-C-K. And I'll put a link in show notes. And now it's time for our life lesson of the week. This week, we're joined by a guest who is a two-time Emmy Award producer and author. She sits down with us today to share with you her transformation from being traumatized from a terrorist attack to thriving and living a life she loves. 
And Jennifer can tell her story much better than I can. So I'm going to turn this over to her now. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you for joining us today. Thank, thank you, Sherry and Jen. It's a pleasure being with you ladies today. So it was back in 2013. I was standing 15 feet from the first of two explosions at the Boston Marathon bombings. Here's the irony is that life was actually really good up to that point. And then when that event happened, my world was completely shattered and life as I knew it was over. But little did I know that four years after that experience would actually be a very pivotal moment in my life and would actually get me to doing what I'm doing today, where I feel the most fulfilled, the most on purpose and alive in than I have ever felt. I was successful in my corporate world and in my business world, but I was always in search of more. You know, I'd reach a goal, I'd reach an intention, and I'm like, is this it? Don't misunderstand, I'd be happy and fulfilled, but it would be short-lived. And I thought I was- Right, you were constantly searching for the next thing. Yes, I was constantly searching for the next thing. Here's the irony, is that horrific experience ended up turning out to be the biggest gift of my life. And they both are true statements. And I'll never forget, one of my meditation teachers said to me, that one day you'll see this as the greatest gift of your life. And I remember, seriously, I was so upset. Who says that when you've gone through something so traumatic? And it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't have to be a terrorist attack. It can be a death of a loved one. It can be the loss of a job. It can be a divorce. It can be any of those things, right? What if there was good that came from those tragic situations? Now, when you say that your life changed that day, were you physically injured or was this all emotional, mental scarring? All of the above. I was physically injured. I had spinal injuries. I had internal injuries. And I ended up having a mild traumatic brain injury as well. So yes, I mean, it was all of that. I was physically, emotionally, and mentally. I mean, you don't expect in a city that you're born and raised in, we're not used to that. You know, you don't expect those types of situations no, to happen. No, you wouldn't expect it to be any kind of danger, right? You're at a very safe space. You're in public. Like I always feel really safe when I'm in public around a lot of people at an event. I don't feel like I'm in any danger at all. So I imagine that part of having to deal with it afterwards was that suddenly your illusion of safety in everyday life was, you used the word shattered, right? It was gone. I mean, I withdrew as somebody who's an outgoing person. And like you said, Jen, I loved crowds. I loved being around crowds and I found them safe until that experience. So I literally withdrew because I was just longing to feel that safety and security. I was afraid of my own shadow. And it took me several years to get to a place where I could emerge again and be strong and healthy again and be back out in the world again. That makes a lot of sense. You really, you needed to feel safe again to trust that you were okay out in a crowd. I can't even imagine how it would be to have that illusion of safety suddenly gone. It's inexplainable. And it's especially inexplainable when you're used to your surroundings being a certain way, right? We live in a country, you know, for the most part that this stuff doesn't happen in, right? So you don't expect it and you just don't. And I think all the more reason why now I'm on a mission to help showcase what's possible so that we don't do these types of things to people anymore. What I've come to understand is the two young men that placed the bombs that day, they grew up in a place where they were bomb-ridden from war. And it doesn't justify what they did. I'm not saying that. But they obviously had a lot of anger and rage and trauma that wasn't dealt with. And as a result, they turned out on innocent people and killed three innocent people that day and injured over 264 more. Not to mention the whole world was impacted by that. So if you could just sum up what your mission is, what difference you want to make in the world, what would that be? It's to inspire and encourage and empower people to rise up from any adversity in life and to take their power back and to recognize that they have the ability to thrive in whatever they choose to do in life. They don't have to be a victim to experiences that happen. You know, yes, experiences happen. I've come to understand that those experiences, as traumatic and difficult as they are, if we can embrace them, learn from them, we can actually rise up from them. And I use the analogy, think of it like planting a seed. How do you plant a seed? Typically, it's steeped in mud and crap, manure. Yeah, right. right. Literally. Literally. What if the trauma was that? What if it was the crap and the muck? 
that was meant to help us rise up and to blossom into our best selves. And that's a completely different perspective than how at least I was raised. You know, those traumatic experiences, you bury them and you hope that they never come up. Yeah. You know, while I'm listening to you talk, I'm taken back to an episode that Jen and I recorded last summer with Dr. Randall Bell, and he's kind of dubbed the master of disaster. And he has studied events like the Boston Marathon or the New York um, World Trade Center, the World Trade Center, the World Trade Center, sorry, and even major hurricane floodings and stuff like that. And he wrote a whole book about how people can overcome the awful, trauma, traumatic situations and become thrivers rather than survivors. And we talk about that a lot in our community is how to live a life where you're thriving and not just surviving. He's talking about it and he shared with our listeners from the point of view of a researcher, but you are a survivor who is thriving. And I think that's a whole different viewpoint on this topic than the one he could give our listeners. People like personal stories and they want to hear people's personal transformations and recovery so take us back to like when this happened and when you finally like kind of realized this isn't how you wanted to go on. Like what steps did you take to start overcoming this trauma that you had suffered? The very first step was in the ER, actually. My ER experience was equally traumatic. What I did not know then that I knew now is that when I was in the ER, I was convulsing from the neck down. What I didn't know is that that was my body's natural response to releasing some of the trauma from that experience. Actually, I was tied down to the bed. And so I actually felt trapped. Now, this is no disrespect to the doctors and nurses, because I know that they did the best that they could. But what I learned was, so I got an inner voice that basically said I needed to learn how to heal naturally, something I had no knowledge how to do. So that day, I had to trust myself and my instincts more than the doctors and the nurses who were urging me to stay, urging me to go through all these different types of tests that were making me feel even worse than I already had. And I honestly didn't know if I was going to live to see another day. And my life flashed before me in the ER. And I thought to myself, if this were my last day, is this where I want to spend it? And the answer was no. So I was discharged in the care of my aunt, who was a nurse practitioner at the time. That started my journey of learning how to heal naturally. And what I discovered is beyond amazing. First and foremost, I came across Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, who talks about body keeps the score. And when we've had trauma that's unresolved, it stays dormant in our cells. And so what happened after the bombings I was having flashbacks as if I was reliving the bombings. But after a couple of days, childhood trauma and early adulthood trauma memories started flooding. It was like going through the worst horror movie you can imagine. And I didn't know how to control it. Right. It's like this trauma activated them. Yes, it did. What I didn't know was that actually was coming up to be healed and released. But in that moment, I felt like I was being terrorized all over again. And I felt as though I was losing control. I contemplated suicide on a couple of occasions because I just didn't understand what to make sense of it. But as I continued on my journey of learning how to heal naturally, everything, you know, acupuncture, nutrition, I ended up doing work with shamans, something I would never think of doing before. What started to happen is my mind, body, and soul started to heal. It took a number of years for that to happen, but I emerged on the other side of that more resilient, at peace. You know, life just started to become like a magic carpet ride, seriously. I had an opportunity. That's huge. Yeah. That, that really is huge, the way that you reframed that. And you said it seemed like a magic carpet ride, you know, from this moment of terrible trauma to turning it into such a positive thing. Here's the irony, Jen. The irony is this. Before the bombings, I was running from my past and running from my traumas. It took me being at the marathon for the very first time as a spectator to stop me in my tracks and to face my past traumas, not to relive them or not to be re-traumatized, but to actually heal them. And that is the irony. And once I started to heal them, I started to feel whole inside of me. 
I recognize now that all of my accomplishments before were to achieve this notion of feeling good. Because the truth is, I didn't feel good on the inside. I looked good on the outside. I looked the part. But the truth is, I was living behind a facade. So do you feel like people who just generally have a sense of like something's wrong, but they don't know what it is, would it be for a lot of them related to past traumas that they haven't dealt with? I would think it is. And sometimes it's subconscious, right? Meaning it's not in our conscious awareness, but something doesn't feel right. What I've come to understand is when something doesn't feel right, listen, I liken it to a warning sign on the dashboard of your car. When something doesn't feel right, you need to pause, either meditate, seek out support from someone else, but go within, go within yourself to see what is going on. Really assess, pause and assess. Pause and assess, absolutely. And I want to say one more thing around that is that that for me, I was always trained to look outside of myself. What the bombings taught me was to go within. And the truth is we have all of the answers inside of us. We just need to slow down enough and listen. Right. That's powerful. Right. Again, just listening to you talk, we have been doing these podcasts now for about 14 months, and you are putting together pieces of several different episodes we've had and other guests who have mentioned just similar things in different ways. But hearing you talk, I can think of one guest who said something about always chasing after something and that when you're constantly chasing after something, usually it's a reason that because you're trying to feel fulfilled because you don't feel fulfilled internally. So you're seeking external validation and, you know, you're running from what you really need to deal with. You're staying busy rather than to deal with the things that you don't want to deal with or it or could be food. can't deal with. Someone could turn to food to deal with the things that they haven't dealt with before. So many ways that can come out. Right. And it's just the fact that you're probably kind of maybe our fourth or fifth guest who's kind of brought up these same subjects tells me this is something real that's happening in society today. And I think the message that you're trying to give people and that you're trying to get people to think about this and talk about this is so important because these aren't things that were taught in childhood. These aren't things we are taught as teenagers by our parents. These are things that we need to be taught by people who have walked the path and have discovered the freedom that you have discovered. I grew up always being told I had to work hard to be successful. And I took that literally. I worked so hard but I was yet unfulfilled, right? And what I've come to understand is we live in a society, and I do believe the pendulum is switching, but we live in a society of do, do, do. It's like a hamster on the hamster wheel over and over and over again, right? And there's not real living in that. And I lived that life for a number of years, most of my adult life, actually. Slowing down and pausing. By the way, I want to say this. This is going to sound really bold. But COVID gave us this opportunity to slow down. I've said that multiple times. Me too. Me too. It made us do it. It made us do it. And it was uncomfortable. But look at the good that came from it. There is good that came from it. And both are true. Yes, people have had heartache. Yes, people have been sick. Yes, those are true. But there's also been good that's come from this. Both the statements are true. You had to dial down into what was most important, and you learned what was something to value versus what was just busyness or something that was not really adding value to your life. When suddenly things were removed from your life, whatever that was, the good things and the bad things that were removed, maybe your commute was removed. That was a positive, but you didn't get to see the people in your office, so that felt like a negative because you love to see them. And all the things that were happening, you realized, what do I prioritize? What's important to me? And so now that we're coming out the other side, we're almost redesigning in a way a life that allows us to prioritize what's important. I 100% agree. And as a result, I do believe what's going to happen is more people are going to start thriving naturally. What I've come to understand is thriving is a way of being. So Sherry, you were talking a few minutes ago about people that are constantly doing, doing, doing. They're coming from a lack perspective, whether they know it or not. They're searching outside of themselves for love or searching outside of themselves for success or searching outside of themselves to feel fulfilled. And they might use food to do that. They might use whatever, right? But the key here is that when we can distinguish 
Like when we just come from our natural state of being, we are designed to thrive. We are designed to love. We learn hatred. We learn struggle. We learn these things, right? And we can unlearn them. And what I've come to understand is the more that we step into who we are authentically, all of it, you know, the good and the bad, and I don't even look at it as good and bad. It's just like, you know, there's things that have happened and integrate that because they make you who you are today. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's just a part of what made you who you are today. Embrace it. It's your path. It is your Mm -hmm. path. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. When we get in alignment with really what makes us feel good, like you were talking about, Jen, we become like this magnet and like all these amazing opportunities start showing up in our lives. And this is the magic carpet ride I was talking about. And it does feel like a magic carpet ride, like twists and turns and ups and downs. It's like, you know, these just amazing opportunities just fell into my lap. That yeah, I agree a hundred percent. That just totally does. It made me smile because it makes me think of you. Don't know this about me, Jennifer, probably, but I was an elementary teacher for twenty eight years, and I loved it. I was a good teacher. I loved my students, but I'm now in a second part of my life with my career, podcasting and writing books, and I have felt like just like you said. I'm in alignment with what I'm supposed to be doing at this stage of my life, and it feels like a magic carpet ride. But here's what was interesting. I always loved teaching. And I loved, like when it was time to go back to school at the end of summer, I loved it. I mean, I was excited to set my classroom up, to see my kids. The planning was exciting. But that last summer before my last year of teaching, I was feeling called to do something different. And I remember like two weeks before school was supposed to start back or something, I I suddenly realized it was time. And I sat at the dinner table and I started crying. And I had never once cried because it was time to go back to work. Instead, I was excited to go back. But all of a sudden, I was no longer in alignment with what I was doing. Once I was able to say, okay, I am going to retire. This will be my last year. I've just felt like the joy of every single day of doing what I'm supposed to be doing. But it's just weird how it shifted from it was the life I wanted to live and I was living it and I was happy. And then all of a sudden it wasn't. And it's funny that you use the word calling because when you said you're in the second part of your career, your life, my initial thought was now you are living your calling. But I had a different calling before and I was living it and it felt right for me. I never dreaded going to work or didn't want to go or cried at the table because it was time to go back. But all of a sudden I'm sitting at the table and I'm crying and I'm like, what is happening? I don't want to go back. I don't want to walk through those doors. And it just was all of a sudden something new. It was time for something new. And so it was like letting go of something that I shouldn't be doing anymore. Congratulations, because that takes tremendous courage. Well, thank you. Because I it did take a lot of courage. I think that is the key. I actually have friends that have really great, successful careers, but they're miserable. And I'm like, why didn't you leave? Well, I, I can't because of X, Y, and Z. I'm like, you can. You have used the word success several times. And every time you use the word success, I always think to myself, the little thought bubble that pops in my head is, what is success? You know, is success an award? Is it a paycheck? Is it what is success? And to me, a successful life is a happy, satisfied life. I would agree with you, Sherry. As somebody who used to think success was about all these accolades and all these achievements and stuff, that's secondary for me now. For me, it's about living life. It's about being able to travel about, to be able to connect with people, to be on shows like this with you amazing ladies, right? It's about sharing and connecting and, and inspiring other people and living. Yeah. And then, you know, we talk about surviving versus thriving. When you need, then you brought up the hamster wheel, which is exactly what I think of surviving. Surviving means you're going through the motions every day, right? You are checking all the boxes. You are getting everything on your calendar done. You're getting the kids where they need to be. You're getting dinner on the table and you're going to bed emotionally and physically depleted. That is surviving. Thriving is when you eliminate the things in your life that are not serving you, that are not fulfilling you. And you get rid of those and you make room for the things that do support the life you want. And you go to bed, maybe physically exhausted, but emotionally you're satisfied. You're satisfied. To me, that's the biggest difference between surviving and thriving. 
So Jennifer, how do you encourage people to let go of something that isn't serving them when they're scared? What what do they do? How do they take that hard step? It's about courage. It's just about honoring yourself and recognizing it's an act of self-love. So you say courage. People live scared. Yeah. How do you put that fear down and find the courage? Well, let's be clear. The fear's there. I want to be really clear. The fear's there for me. Even though when I came out and decided to do a film and sharing the wisdom about my story and rising up, and there's got to be more to life, right? That took tremendous courage. I was scared to death to do it. What if people don't like it? What if, I don't know. I didn't go to film school, right? But I was being divinely called to take the wisdom from that experience and share it and interview some of my mentors and experts so that we can bring this to everyday people. Let me ask you a question because that made me smile because that's a lot like my journey. You know, I was an elementary teacher and now I am a New York Times bestselling author. It <laughs> sounds crazy, but my first book I self-published. I didn't know about how to publish a book. I just did it. But when you were going to create this film, Did it feel like you were just in the flow and you couldn't stop it from coming out of you no matter what you wanted to do? Yes. That's how it felt for me. Once I committed, I had some resistance at the beginning because I was like, it was too big for me at the time. So the truth is- Internal resistance. Internal resistance. So I put it aside and guess what? This was the blessing for me of COVID because I was scheduled to be on a 15 city speaking tour. I had all these speaking engagements lined up and all of that went away. I now had the time and the space to create this film. And Jenna, you're 100% right. I divinely got that it would take six months to create this film from start to finish. People that had been in the industry for 20, 30 years say that's not possible. And guess what? We did it. And it was just, we were in the flow. That's the wording I was going to say. You're in the flow. When I wrote my first book, Delayed on Deny, I was completely in the flow and it just came out of me. It's like, where is this all coming from? You know? But that's being <laughs> but in like alignment. You stop it. That's being yeah. in alignment. That's being in alignment with what your soul is wanting you to do. And that is a state of thriving. Yeah. So when you feel that pull to do something, something creative, and you can't stop it and it's flowing out of you, that's a sign you're supposed to do it. Exactly. Yeah. And see, I feel that way about the podcast. I wanted to do a podcast for a long time, and I kept talking myself out of it. All the reasons why I shouldn't, why it wouldn't work, why, you know, whatever. All those reasons that I told myself that this shouldn't happen. And thankfully, I have a friend named Jen (laughs) (laughs) who pushed me to believe in myself and to put those fears aside. And she's like, what's the worst thing that happened? It doesn't work. Yeah. If it doesn't work, it was fun. We did it. Oh, well. So, Mm -hmm. and here we are 15, 16 months later. And I think that's the message here is that when you get that inner nudge, literally take that leap. I want to just say it is taking a leap of faith. It's not knowing what's on the other side. You've got to be comfortable with being uncomfortable and you have to be willing to walk through the fear because the fear is there. At least for me, there is. There's something inside of you. You know, we're in the year of the tiger. Right now is the time to like cultivate that inner power and just take a leap of faith. You can't lose. And I want to go back to something that you also said that really struck a chord with me when you said, what if people don't like it? That's the biggest fear I had when I was writing my first book and any of my books. I'm like, well, what if people don't like it? There will be people who don't like it. Anything you put out into the world, people will not like it. Someone will not, but someone will. Exactly. And it will be just the right thing for somebody. And so it is impossible to put something into the world that everyone is going to like. Absolutely. Absolutely truth. And that's it. I think we as human beings, we long for belonging. So we fear rejection. You know, I have feared rejection. Like I sometimes have stopped myself from doing the things that I knew I wanted to do. And you're 100% right, Jen. Not everyone's going to love it. And that is okay. The feedback that we're getting from the film, like it's literally saved lives. People that were on the verge of taking their life now all of a sudden have a new hope and new inspiration. And now they're like, oh my gosh, even if it's for one person, unfortunately, it's been more than that. But even if it is, it's all worth it. Absolutely. And just to show that, you know, everyone is different with their opinions, go to any best-selling book on Amazon that you loved. 
something that you loved and you read and you loved it and look at the one star reviews and you'll be like, are they even reading the same book that I read and I loved? And and so, you know, you realize that what you're putting out there is right for the people that are meant to receive it. And the people who are not meant to receive it will not like it. And that is okay. But it's the right message for the people who needed it. Absolutely. It's like music. It is. Oh, yeah. Exactly. I was going to say the same thing. I turned on a song I loved last night just to try to set up my Spotify on my new TV. And my husband was just like, turn this off. <laughs> I'm like, I love this song. He's like, this is awful. <laughs> so, I mean, as a now, musician. what it was. What was the song? Well, it's an artist named Zach Bryan. And okay. the song is called Loom. But yeah, as a musician, you know, probably more than an author or a movie producer or whatever, that you're hitting one genre, right? You're going to hit one type of listener for your music. But a lot of other things are scary because you're trying to appeal to the mass audience. But my question for you, Jennifer, was, Well, I first have a comment. You said laying in that ER, you felt like if you stayed there, you were going to die. And you were already fighting. You were already on your journey to thriving laying in that ER. And I can't say enough how powerful our thoughts are when it comes to healing. We think, oh, you know, you need medicine or you need this or you need therapy or you need what. It starts with your thoughts. 100%. If you don't think you're going to get better, you're not going to get better. I learned how to heal from that experience 100% naturally. I didn't take pain meds and I was in excruciating pain. I mean, they prescribed all kinds of things to me. I did not take one ounce of medication. I learned holistic ways to heal. And I discovered that we have the power to heal anything. And it does start with our thoughts and it starts with a commitment. I did not know how to do that that day, but my commitment to learning how to do it. What happened was it's as if the universe conspired and literally brought people in my path at the right time to learn the modality I need to learn. And some of these modalities were far outside of anything I would have ever contemplated before. But I leaned in because I was eager to get out of that prison sentence. And it felt like- You were invested. I was invested. Whatever it took to get out of that prison sentence, because that's what it felt like. So often I feel like people kind of get stuck in that victim mindset. They're stuck where they think this is it. This is as good as it gets. Nothing good happens to me. It's never going to get better. If you could just briefly tell somebody the blueprint to get unstuck. The first thing is to take one step in the direction that lights you up, whatever that is. It might be walking away from a relationship that doesn't serve you. That literally makes you feel stuck. It might be leaving a job that you feel unfulfilled in, right? But for me, what I've come to understand is pause, slow down, and ask yourself the question if I could do anything, what would I want to do? And then, whatever that inner and wisdom, listen, to and what listen that answer exactly, is. listen to that inner wisdom. And it may not, no, make no sense. not that though, like, right? Like you say, okay, if I could do anything, what would it be? Well, no, not that. Okay, what else? <laughs> but that was it. You, you just said no to exactly. It's that first instinct that pops in. And it's like, that is your higher self that is guiding you. And if we take more time to listen to that, life wouldn't be a struggle. Doesn't mean we wouldn't have challenges. It doesn't mean we don't have opportunities to grow, but it wouldn't be as much of a struggle as people are going through. It's a decision. I no longer want to be a victim. I no longer want to feel stuck. I'm going to do whatever it takes. It's a commitment too. It's like learning how to walk or learning how to ride a bike. Is it perfect the first time? No. But do you yell at a child, don't try to get up again because you'd stumbled and fall? No. You encourage them. Surround yourself with people who are going to encourage you and who believe in you. You know, for me, I had a commitment and a desire, but I also had doubt. I had no idea if I could do this or not, but I was willing to go the distance and do whatever I could. But I was fortunate to have people in my corner who encouraged me, who were my best cheerleaders until I could become my own. Yep. That is a hundred percent. We've said before, if you don't have somebody in your corner fighting for you, find that person. And sometimes that person is yourself. Look in the mirror, look in the mirror and say, you know what? I'm going to be my very best friend for a number of months because I chose to withdraw because I couldn't make sense of all of this, I had to become my very best friend, learn how to nurture myself in ways I had never done before. That too was a gift. That's really huge. Yeah. 
What lesson, if you could sum up today into a lesson, what lesson do you want our listeners to walk away from today's episode with? Slow down and listen. It's simple. For me, I was running, running, running. And yet so hard for so many people. Yeah. It's literally slow down and listen. And And stop making your life like just chock full of things to do or stuff. Like literally take time to go for a walk. And be present. And be present, 100%. You know, yesterday I was sitting out in my front yard. We have some chairs out there and it was a beautiful day and I'm sitting out there, but I'm trying to work on my phone. I'm working on my phone, even out in the sun. And my neighbor got home from work and she came over and she sat down and I had like a momentary feeling of, I've got to do all this work. I can't talk to her. And then I'm like, what? That's crazy. So I put the work away and I just sat there and I visited with her as long as we could visit. And just realizing that the work will still be there when I pick it up later. You know, you're not going (laughs) to take time in your day to be present and not just focus on those tasks. Jen, I'm curious, when you went back to the work, was it quicker for you to get through the work? I mean, it was just still there. It's always going to still be there. There's always work. But yeah, I mean, it it felt good to go through it. And I'm never going to be finished. I'm never going to have like, well, that was the last thing I needed to do. (laughs) We have online communities and say there's always a lot going on. So (laughs) 24-7. 24-7. It's not an emergency. The community is there. They're guiding each other. That's a wonderful place. And they don't need Jen there every second or Sherry every, you know. So (laughs) yes, it's feeling like, you know, I'm not the only person keeping the balls in the air. I can sit down and talk to my neighbor and be present. Exactly. Right. How can listeners get in touch with you or find you and connect with you? They can go to my website, jennifercoffman.com. There's information about my latest film, other films that I've produced, the best-selling books that I've written. So jennifercoffman.com is the best place to go. Where can they watch your film? So if you go to my website, there's a link to the trailer and the movie trailer will take you to There's Got to Be More to Life. So I have the URL for that, and they can go watch it on a secure platform that I've created. Fabulous. Oh, okay. We're actually in the process of creating our next film, which is a sequel called There Is More to Life. So the first one is all about showing how it's possible to rise from any adversity in life. And we start to talk a little bit about thriving. The next film is where we start talking about what it takes to thrive. Awesome. That's great. And awesome. you have a book called Shattered. I do. That's also available. And it shares your journey. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer. This has been a real pleasure. Thank you, ladies. It's been great. Before we get to the listener-led lesson of the week, we want to take a minute to invite you to the Life Lessons VIP community on Circle. Not only can you interact with me and with Sherry in a private online community, you can connect with other listeners and community members. Sherry is going to be hosting monthly Zoom hangouts where we can connect and talk. You can join us in this new VIP community by going to lifelessonscommunity.com slash VIP. Choose your monthly membership contribution of $4.99 or $9.99, and you can change to a different tier at the end of any month simply by managing your subscription within the platform. Choose the option that feels like the right value to you. And by the way, you may think, you know what? I don't even want to be in a community, but I want to support the podcast. So this is the way that you can do it. Just like Sherry shared that she uses Patreon to support her favorite podcast. And all they have is you just send a monthly donation. You can join our community and support us that way, just as Sherry does with the Patreon. And they don't even, like I said, they don't have a community, but we do. But if you're not interested in the community, just join to support the podcast and we would love it. It really helps us bring you the podcast because, you know, we haven't been, <laughs> we have been just barely breaking even, I guess. So, yeah. And we, I mean, we have so many more lessons to share. And, we do. And we want to keep bringing you these episodes every week. So and it actually, would really help us out. In the future, this episode comes out in a month. And so we're actually recording two episodes today, but we're a month into the future. But today is the day it actually launched. So it's very exciting to see people popping in and joining us. And so by the time this comes out, hopefully a lot of you have already joined us there. That's our goal because, you know, I've missed connecting with the Life Lessons community since I left Facebook. Yeah. I, I love know. intermittent and fasting. And people miss you. They but, all the time on the Facebook community, they're like, I miss Jen. Well, so, you know, if you miss Jen. As much as I love intermittent fasting and the delayed on deny community, sometimes it's nice to talk about things that aren't fasting, right? Yeah, so. other parts of life. 
Exactly. So now it's time for our listener-led lesson. Today's listener-led lesson comes from Cheryl. She says, hi, Jen and Sherry. Love, love, love you girls. IF changed my life. IF stories are the best. The Life Lessons podcast is stellar, and I love cleanish. Yay! That's just me saying (laughs) yay. Thank you, Cheryl. She said, I was just cleaning my cooktop and the glass inside my oven door. I always grab a razor blade for these type tasks. I could keep dousing with degreaser, but I removed about 90% of the oil goo with the razor blade. I use a razor blade all over my house, windows, mirrors, countertops, etc. Usually a final wipe with a product is required, but my razor blade helps me use a minimum of the product, saving money too. And you know, I just want to pop in there and say, when I had a smooth top stove, I did the same exact thing. When something would get baked on there, you just scrape, 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 scrape it up with the razor blade. Really? Yes. Okay. You have to you don't want to scratch it. So you have to be careful. You have to hold it at just the right angle. So don't say, I tried that, Jen, and I scratched my stove top. <laughs> do not do that. <laughs> I'm telling you now, you got to do it at just the right angle and scrape it off. And it really is great. And then that branch basics will just get the rest off. So Cheryl said, Thank you so much for all the wisdom you gather and dispense. Cheryl. And I'd never thought of using it on like glass or mirrors. So that's something to think about if you got something stuck on there. Mm-hmm. Well, at the end of each show, we share a motivational quote from a listener. And today's quote comes from Amy Joe in Mississippi. The quote comes from a book and it's Atticus. He was real nice. Most people are a scout when you finally see them. And this is a passage from the book To Kill a Mockingbird in chapter 31. And Scout is telling Atticus how Boo Radley turned out to be a very nice person, despite her originally thinking he was a monster. And Atticus points out that most people are nice when you get to know and understand them better. Amy, a high school teacher, said, This book is a piece of me. I love every single letter of the alphabet in it, and I cannot wait to teach it every year to my kiddos. I love it. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, I say that all the time. People want to help. People want to be nice. And so that quote, most people are scout when you finally see them. That's important. You got to see them. Because sometimes people put up this little whatever, you know, and you got to see through that to them and connect with them in a different kind of way. That was one of my gifts as a teacher was connecting with those kids that were, uh, the other teachers were like, oh, this kid, you're going to hate him. And I'm like, actually, I love him. And I wasn't lying. When you never know what's going on with people, my husband, who I've shared before is social anxiety, he can be a little growly in public because he's uneasy and his anxiety is heightened. But if you take the minute to kind of like just see beyond that, then you see what an amazing person is really And that's it that. with every kid. Every kid the same way. Those kids, they got that wall up for a reason, right? And you just have to find your way inside of it. Anyway, that was the fun part of teaching was reaching those kids. So listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. Make sure to join us in the new Life Lessons VIP community. Go to lifelessonscommunity.com slash VIP to be a VIP podcast supporter for either $4.99 or $9.99 a month. And your support ensures that we can keep bringing you episodes of the Life Lessons podcast each week. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And we would also love for you to leave a review if you're in iTunes or if you're in Spotify to help us reach others. Do you have a story to share for our good news segment, a listener-led lesson, or a motivational quote that means something to you? Or do you have an area of expertise that you want to share as our featured guest for the week as we present our weekly life lesson? Email us at connect at lifelessonscommunity.com and listen each week to see if we share your story or tip. Until next week, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.